The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and of course past performance does not guarantee future returns. This is Gone by Lunchtime, uh, back after a long time away. We're gathered here this afternoon in Wellington's bustling Astoria Cafe to discuss events in New Zealand politics. Joining me in Astoria today is Ben Thomas from Exceltium. Hi, Ben. Hi, Toby. We have Annabelle Lee, executive producer of The Hui. Hi, Annabelle. How are you? Good. Uh, we have Wamehia Rose. Um, Executive Assistant to Mihingarangi Forbes. Hello, we're yeah. here. And we have special guest star, Mihingarangi Forbes. How are you, Mihi? Tino Pairawatu. Excellent. I'm good. Excellent. Can't get any privacy at Astoria. We can just clarify that we all just bumped into each other here. We've all just been at the gym and uh, went for a cup of coffee. And here we all are discussing, you know, high level funding issues on a range of subjects. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I allude cleverly, of course, to the Claire Curran, Carol Hirschfeld situation. Mihi, you probably don't want to discuss this, given you recently left RNZ, left RNZ yourself. Um, we'll just... We'll just, we'll, you just, me. You just, you just do the, the Dom table. Post quiz. I'm going to shift to the other <laughs> table and do the little Dom Post quiz. Hang, hang out with all those Russell McVeigh lawyers <laughs> sort of you. hiding out in the corner. Um... Annabelle, it's, it took us all by surprise when all of a sudden um, Paul Thompson issued, and Richard Griffin, the CEO and chair respectively of RNZ, issued a statement announcing that um, Thompson had been misled um, by head of content, former head of news, Carol Hirschfeld, uh, about the nature of the meeting with the broadcasting me- uh, minister at this cafe we're in right now, Astoria. Mm. Um uh, in terms of whether or not it had been prearranged or was a bump into each other after the gym deal. And then it all sort of started things moving quite quickly and pressure on Claire Curran. And uh, do you think Claire Curran can keep her job? Um, I have no idea if she can keep her job. Um uh, it seems like she still has Ardern on side at this point. I would like to say that, um, just acknowledge um, Carol, who I've worked with a lot over a number of years, and she's been a trailblazer for Wahine Māori, particularly mm-hmm. in mainstream news. Um, I was surprised by how open um, Griffin and Thompson were about 
um, Carol's resignation and the reason for it and um, some of the language they used. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this story is a bit of an onion and every time um, you peel something off, there's a new, more interesting layer underneath. And um, for me, one of the things that was really interesting was um, Melissa Lee's admission on RNZ this morning that she had actually been informed of Carol's resignation before it was made public because Dick Griffin, who we know as a former spin doctor for Jim Bolger, um, gave her a heads up about it beforehand, which I thought is interesting because this story seems to be based on the protocol that, um, you know, there's a a line in which people need to follow in terms of, you know, the line of authority and who to meet with. And Mm. clearly Carol had, um, well, breached that by meeting directly with with Karen. Um, But I guess the issue is really that, um, um, really the onus was on Claire Curran to maintain those correct lines of communication, not so much on Carol, because... As an employee, if you're summoned to meet with someone, mm. you know, you're kind of obliged to do it. Really, it's the minister's job to ensure that she's communicating with the right people, which in this case would have been Paul Thompson and Griffin, and she's clearly sidestepped them. She's initiated the meeting, not Carol. Yes. Um, and, and although that might very well be the protocol, it's not actually the practice, as everyone in this room would know. So, um, yeah, it's a shame that um, Carol's... Um, fallen and it'll be interesting to see a what happens with Karen but secondly what happens with Griffin because why did he contact Melissa Lee I don't understand and and that he's been in the media publicly stating that he has had um, a, a personal source within Karen's office contact him about this issue also seems like there's another breach of protocol going on there so I feel like there's still a little bit more river to, uh, a little bit more Onion, to come, yeah, a yeah. Bit more onion available. Mm. I suppose one of the questions that you point to is whether or not something like this could have been dealt with in a less what might seem draconian way. For example, you could have expressed your dissatisfaction with the behaviour and the follow-up without necessarily making it... Well, it's a resignation, but it looks like it's sackable offence level. Mm. Yeah. What do you reckon, Ben? Is this... I mean, getting back to Claire Curran, I suppose, do you think that she needs to take more responsibility for what's gone down? In in terms of the earlier question, you know, will Claire Curran survive? The answer is a clear cut, 100% no, she won't. The the question is just like how long until she falls into a tar pit or is strangled by overpriced pasta at Astoria by accident or just... Where where we are now. Just, I, I, I mean, Claire Curran should never have been allowed within 10 miles of a ministerial warrant. Um, I think the thing that's saved her so far is that she hasn't, she doesn't seem to, at this point, have personally misled the Prime Minister when, the, when she was explaining the situation through its many twists and turns when she first said that she didn't meet with, or when she first admitted to mention that she met with Carol Hirschfeld. When she, she originally answered clean. a question, written question in Parliament about meetings and she omitted it and then she came back and added it. And then she said it was unofficial and not. She a said it was unofficial. Meeting. Then her, then uh, then Radio New Zealand said at a select committee hearing that it was uh, a coincidence, it was mm. a chance encounter, mm. Mm. Um, which turned out not to be. And Karen has sort of retrofitted her explanation to the prime minister to say, "Well, I, I knew 
I, I knew that that was an inconsistency with my understanding of the meeting, which was pre-planned. So I, through my staff, let Radio New Zealand know about that on March the 1st. God knows who she contacted. Maybe she took one of you know the janitor out to lunch at a story or something. No, they have that line you can call in for your experiences. <laughs> yeah. so text, probably... text Guy in on Morning Report. Yeah. I don't know, but it obviously didn't get to um, it didn't get to Griffin or or um, Thompson at that stage because then it was three weeks later that they learned for sure that uh, that she had she had been misleading them. That Hirschfeld had been misleading them. Then I, I assume a resignation was demanded. But I, I, I mean, the thing is, Claire Curran, she she can't she can't survive as a minister whether she survives this incident. I mean, before Christmas, she was tweeting saying who you know, and, and when when there was a um, when, when it was announced that police had who had reinvestigated uh, Todd Barclay. Uh, and Invercargill had concluded in their final report that there were credible witnesses and reasonable grounds to suspect, um, but they, they didn't lay charges. Claire Curran retweeted a tweet to that effect and then said, who instructed Baird, the, the cop, not to recommend prosecution? Right? So, I mean, this is basically Trump-level lock-her-up sort of shit that, you know, someone who was at the time a minister of the Crown was just sort of tweeting into the ether with no sort of regard for... You know, cabinet collective responsibility, uh, the independence of the police. Um, she has no idea of of the role that she occupies and the duties that it demands, and they so dwarf her competencies and her talents that the sooner she goes, the better for this government, whatever the circumstances. Wow, um, she does certainly seem accident prone. I recall as well the time there was that plaque that she unveiled in Dunedin, and she misspelled Jacinda Ardern's name. <laughs> But who amongst us has not been guilty of that at some point? And then there was the time she accidentally copied and pasted a few pages from The Economist into some future of work. Grant Robertson's future of work. Document for Grant Robertson's. But that's all really kind of trivial in the scheme of things. And in a way, this seems fairly trivial too in terms of a meeting in a diary. I mean, whether or not it's kind of high-level conspiratorial stuff... uh, it doesn't seem like really enough to sack a minister, does it, Annabelle? Mihi, you coming in on this, or are you still...? Oh, I just need a hand. Um, eight across, eight letters, starting <laughs> with I, ending with I. Uh, Tough, I don't know. <clears throat> I think it could be Irirangi. Huh? Could be Irirangi, which mm. is radio. <clears throat> <clears throat> um, uh, well, I don't think it's the greatest crime to have ever to have ever happened. I mean, I think there's, there's you know, em, uh, ministers have done worse and and survived. Um, and I think these are the kinds of mistakes that you, you know, potentially you see um, during the transition period um, of a new government where ministers are still sort of um, getting on their feet and understanding um, the parameters in which they are allowed to operate and so on and so forth. I mean, the other thing is, you know, and, and it's a bit tiresome to mention because it's just a sort of, you know, yes, minister, thick of it or veep style joke by now. But this was the Minister of Open Government, a new portfolio that's meant to illuminate the operations of government and make things more transparent. And this this whole thing, this whole scandal happened because she refused to 
um, released details of her meetings. When she did, they were inc- incomplete. And then she said that actually these were just informal meetings that didn't really count as government records at all. Um, I mean, yeah, again, she didn't mislead the Prime Minister as far as we know at this stage. She will survive, you know, for now. But I can't see any benefits in labour and ke- for labour and keeping her around. And and you know, as much as you try and sort of you want to extend goodwill to a new government and say, well, let's give them the benefit of the doubt. They've been elected on this platform with this program. Once you start looking around and seeing Kelvin Davis being shielded from questions from journalists and from other pol- parliamentarians, and he's he's number two in Labour. You see Claire Curran, who's a cabinet minister who just can't seem to go outside without like breaking their leg or falling down a manhole in a political sense. Um, it really does sort of shake confidence in the new administration, I think, a bit. Certainly it has been a, a good time uh, in the last week or two for the national uh, opposition, led by Simon Bridges. Um, not only have they had this, there was the, 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 the Mark Mitchell's New Zealand First thing about the MP whose name I can't remember, Jenny Marcroft, I mean, um, re- being re- told there was, there was and, and be, the best news of all for them was that Jonathan Coleman resigned. <laughs> um, I mean, look, Claire Curran's greatest crime against the government is making Melissa Lee and Brett Hudson look like stars in question time. I mean, this is something that no government should have to put up with. Um, why my heroes uh, singing there for the opposition? Uh, what about the New Zealand First thing? Should we briefly cover that? Um, this the idea that Mark Mitchell, who's had quite a good run so far since he made his um, quick uh, flag waving bid for the leadership, and he he's um, he's running the line that there's this kind of I guess well, it's not pork barrelly, it's more than that, but this the sort of Alfred Naro style threats that there won't be any support for people who are politically oppose um, the government. Have, 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 has the opposition scored some points there too, Annabelle? think it's a, a story that's got uh, you know really set alarm bells ringing for most people again I think you could say that it's the you know perhaps a rookie MP overreaching um, and uh, again um, you know hearing Mark use words like I felt like I was being bullied I mean this is a dude that set up a, a, a company in Iraq like I'm pretty sure that you aren't really that intimidated by Jenny Marcroft to be fair. <laughs> it was a silly it was a silly rookie move on on, on her part. She overreached and um, she's been called out on it and um, probably a lesson learnt the hard way for her. What else have we got? What else have we got? Spies. We're gonna to touch on that. That's also sort of been a bit embarrassing for they've, they've been slightly pissed taken in headlines about not being able to find any spies. Yeah, so f- first up, um, obviously uh, the UK was imposing sanctions on the Russians, you know, diplomatic remedies um, in response to what the attempted assassination of a former double agent on UK soil. Theresa May called on all the Allies to stand with the UK. Um, they expelled a number of Russian diplomats um, that they said were sort of you know, doing intelligence gathering operations. Um, and, and New Zealand quite slow to respond. And a couple of, you know... <laughs> There is there is there are these sort of weird references to Russia in the um, coalition agreement between Labour and New Zealand First, um, 
in, in terms of New Zealand trying to enter into a free trade union uh, well, with to Russia. reopen the Russian FTA <laughs> negotiations with Russia and Kazakhstan. Yeah, which hadn't been seen as a priority by others, and, that, and that's totally reasonable. But another one of the priorities negotiated by New Zealand first was to try and get um, closer Commonwealth economic relations happening, um, which is something the UK is quite keen on post Brexit and would really advantage New Zealand as well. And and th- those those two goals came into conflict, obviously. Um, and and there was I think there's a bit of reticence on Winston Peters' part to to have to reconcile those two things. I think he wanted to. It seemed like he wanted to kind of keep both things moving along until um, the Prime Minister, you know, kind of came on board that's and condemned. Is that if there's spies in New Zealand, I heard that there were some spies in Waikato recently, and they spied uh, the National Party leader Simon Bridges returning to Oparuri, his marae, for mm-hmm. the pokai. Mm. So he uh, he fearlessly waded into Nanaia Mahuta territory to his old marae, which could be quite good because you know there has been some talk around the traps that he's a sleeper, a sleeper, a sleeper Maori. Yeah, a Maori sleeper. <laughs> and you know, um, so in terms of, we were talking about spying, well, perhaps that's the spying we're talking about. But I mean, pretty unusual. Uh, John Key used to do this quite a bit. He used to go off script and then just mention carelessly things that he'd been told in GCSB briefings. Mm. Um, mm. And, and, you know, which, which wasn't ideal practice. And I think um, for the, pri- the Prime Minister appeared on Radio New Zealand yesterday, and I, I thought Guy and Espinel was going to sort of faint with shock when she said, well, the, S- the SIS, well, she said MFAT, but she meant the SIS, um, have told us there are no, there are no um, undeclared spies in, in Wellington and so we're not expelling Quite any but if we had found any we, we went through have. the normal processes we, we, we telephoned the, uh, the Russian embassy and said to them are there any spies and they <laughs> said no and um, so we've taken care of business there yeah. um, what about um, Uncle Winston generally um, Mahi how do you reckon he's performed so far as in his return to Deputy PM Foreign Minister hmm. well has he? How long's it? How has he been overseas? I have. I've, I haven't he, heard he did from the him recently. <laughs> he has did he come Pacific back? Tour, yeah. He's back. Pacific. He went on the APEC and he the He really ASEAN does like stuff, that um, leadership role. He's a bit of a rangatira now, so you mm. know the mentoring role mm. of um, the prime minister. And yeah, I don't know. He's just Winston. Spent a bit of time in Russia. He, um, <laughs> um, what else we got on this list of things on my piece of paper here? Um, um, let's talk about the other big story which happened since we last convened here in Astoria, which is the Labour Party youth camp mm. um, scandal, which it was really. And it, it, it um, and I mean, I, uh, you know, it feels like it happened a while ago, but it was it, it was the first really big political challenge, I guess, for the new Prime Minister, in that she hadn't been informed about this. Um, I mean, serious sexual harassment or sexual assault, whatever you want to call it. Um, I don't know the details, but um, how was the handling of that, Annabelle? Was it was it was it was it bad? It was kind of Andrew Curtin, who's the general secretary, um, said that it was being victim-led, but then certain things hadn't sort of been done until the media got wind of it, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I think it was an absolute lash-up, mm. and um, and I think it's her first major misstep in terms of handling a a big important issue I think um, Curtin should have been summoned to Wellington kicked hard in the balls at least three times 
probably stood down until a full investigation had been conducted into what happened. The fact that he's still there now uh, absolutely shocks the hell out of me. And his kind of um, nonchalant response to the media about, you know, would you change anything you've done? And he said something along the lines of, well, you know, um, no, but I would have told the Prime Minister if she wants to know. Well, that is not good enough by anyone's standard. Um, while I accept that he could not inform the parents of those um, youth involved that there had been an alleged assault because that would be a breach of their privacy, he had a responsibility to act and act quickly and do more and he didn't. And I think um, Jacinda has also dropped the ball by not being stronger and firmer with her and it leaves her looking a little weak and a little um, reluctant to um, to put the um, the tough undies on and and um, kick some balls. Right, and that and then I mean I mean obviously the story is not uh, primarily about the political politics of it, but the, the the politics also if you combine it with the a perception that she maybe hasn't been swift enough in dealing with clear current. I mean, and mm. and then she's also got. But I mean, the clear current issue compared to this one is, no, you know, that's it's nothing. Sure. But this one is serious. It's you know, allegations of a sexual assault. It's huge against young people. So one of the and the fact that Andrew Curtin's head hasn't rolled is, you know, not not a good look in my view. What do you reckon, Ben? I mean, surely one of the things, and it's easy to say, I suppose, with hindsight, but one of the one when you say that your approach is victim-led, but what the suppose the victim-led approach happens to dovetail with what is in the interests of your party, then surely that the thing you have to do right at square one is get somebody independent to oversee to make sure that you're not doing something that is not in the best interests. Yeah, I mean, I think there was a bit of retrofitting of this victim-led approach, um, you know, because, yeah, like, like you say, um, an ideal victim-led approach might actually look from the outside exactly the same in terms of result as ignoring this and hoping it goes away. Um, where, if there was a failing, the failing was not that they didn't call the parents, right? Mm. This is not labour philosophy. Labour philosophy is you don't tell the parents if a 16-year-old has an abortion, right? Mm. They're being utterly consistent by saying it's not the parents' business to know this without the kid's permission. I, I, I think that's totally legitimate. And It know, only is yeah. if you're yeah. offering alcohol to them. You know, you can't, that, 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 to me, that's kind of the greater crime is providing alcohol to minors. Yeah, that put them in a position where they became vulnerable, and and you have to, yeah, what, you can't buy alcohol for people under the age of eighteen. You can't. Yeah. So if you're providing it for it, we're all, all told as parents that we have to contact you know the parents of the children who are coming to your house and stuff. So it's got to go across the board, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean that's a Simon Power law that was I think was pretty dumb when it came in. I think it, it got a lot of criticism. The old you know parent parental note for Wait till you have underage drinkers. <laughs> yeah, but that's I mean but you might you might argue that for having some some mates over to you know play cards but a, a sort of political party's camp to be fast and loose with a law like that seems yeah. 
I, seems I, outrageous. Yeah, I mean, wh- where the failing for Curtin would have been is that they needed to make absolutely sure that whatever the kids wanted to do with the full knowledge mm. of what it entailed, that Labor would stand behind them on that. And we just don't have any way of knowing for sure whether they did that, although we do know that somebody blew the whistle and took this to the media, which suggests that everyone was not happy with the yeah, way that it yeah. was handled, and that's that's the best evidence we've got of that. So I think you, you would chalk it down, you chalk it up as, ba- as bad management of the situation. Which, as Annabelle says, is much more serious, I think, than the current, you know, the mm. current thing, which is just sort of political theatre and a bit of sort of chain of command sort of stuff. Mm. Um, I, I don't know if it's been handled that well in the aftermath, in the sense that where this has gone, you know, we we, we have this, um, you know, the, the Me Too movement, you know, broadly construed in New Zealand, s- starts off um, by by holding, you know, powerful predatory men to account, you know, in positions of influence. But where some, along the way, some of it seems to have been kind of diverted into a bit of a moral panic about young people having parties. And so so I, I think, for instance, Labour's reaction, which was we're going to ban all young Labour events and they're all going to be organised by the Labour Party proper, I don't know that that's the best outcome from this either. Um, because there you're actually, I, I think, you're kind of infantilising the young Labour people a bit more um, and, you know, turning it into this sort of centrally controlled thing. Can I just say, anyone that's joining a political party and going to political camps under the age of 20, what is going on with you guys? <laughs> you should be out getting drunk with your friends, not at political camps. Did you, were you involved in politics that when you were in your teens, Ben? I think you're the likeliest of anyone in this room. Yeah, no, I, I was, I was, I was, I was not a. I think he's swinging God, at the I chair. I think I was, I think I think I was a member of ACT. There was definitely no fun or drinking. Um, ben won't be able to join us for the rest of the year, but we'd like to thank him for his contribution. <laughs> he's drinking now. <laughs> he is drinking now. He's making up for it now. Oh my God. Um, he's drinking now at 11 a.m. in Astoria, <coughs> which is where we are. Um, what else are we going to talk about? Should we talk about um, quickly about the Kiwi Build announcement? It was a big announcement on. No, 4,000 homes in my backyard. Three to 4,000 mm. homes. Annabelle well, not your backyard. Well, kind of down the road. Well, this is actually, actually Annabelle and I are going to discuss they'll be, this they'll at be greater using length. My, they'll be using the same cycleway as mine. We'll be discussing this at greater length, won't we, Annabelle, on our um, Cafes of Point Chevalier podcast? Yes, yeah. Um, which, Tune which, in for the Twisted Tomato Ep. Um, uh, it, it's quite an ambitious target and it got attacked a bit um, in terms of whether or not it, National was planning it anyway and some of that had a little bit of currency and most of that seemed to be spurious but I guess it, it sort of it really is Phil Twyford had really announced a plan to have a plan he didn't have much meat on the bone it was we're going to do it we've we've got the land off Unitech who are moving their operations to the south end of the campus this is on Carrington Road for people who know Auckland that runs between Mount Albert and Point Chevalier um, and I was looking at the clock she wants me to talk faster um, um, is, it, is, it, is, is he kind of what's the, what's the idiom is he, is he building a rod for his own back I, and making I, these, I caught an Uber the other day uh-huh. with a lovely Indian taxi driver who had just had his first child um, him and his missus are here alone, don't have any whānau support or whatnot. He said that he voted national in the last election because 
national have been in the whole time that he's been in New Zealand, which was 10 years. Good reason. Um, and um, he had heard about the, um, I think it's a common thing though, right? But he had heard the announcement about the 4,000 houses and um, in uh, Mount Albert and was really, really excited about it. And as a result, he was he, he and his wife had decided that they were going to vote for Labour in the next election. Okay. So I guess, regardless of it being a pretty um, bare policy in terms of how it's going to happen, or plan in terms of how it's actually going to happen so far, right. it's having cut through in certain sectors. But at risk, at risk of, at risk of um, echoing Matthew Hooten, um, um, one of Ben Thomas's employees. Um, <laughs> if 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 come the next election campaign, there are fewer than twenty houses mm. on that site. That's right. Then then, uh, then it'll come our back Uber to driver is going to be like, where is the where's show all me the houses the money. at? Where's the, the four thousand right? at? And, and this is a big announcement. It's the first one. I mean, they're just they're just. I mean, I mean, on one level, you can applaud him. And the, his best line was on um, Q and A when he was asked about pulling numbers out of his house, out of his ass. And Twyford, Twyford's answer was, it's better than sitting on your ass for nine years, mm. which was a good line. But um, now he really has to deliver, and there seem to be a, there are a lot of things that have to be achieved. And even just in a really boring, my own banal existence, that intersection at Point Chev on the corner of Great North Road, Carrington Road, Point Chev Road, is clo- was clogged up this morning mm. at 830 They've got a lot of work to do in a whole lot of areas they to do. make it make it possible. There's right? also often a guy that stands at the corner of that intersection begging. You've probably seen him, Toby, with a sign about how his mum is sick and mm. not able to mm. work, and so um, he, he's begging on the corner for money. So I live in that neighbourhood too. I think it's a great thing. I don't really care very much about the traffic. There is going to be uh, have to be a huge amount of investment in infrastructure, more um, public transport, all of that stuff. But in turn, that may create more jobs, more employment, more industry. So that's necessarily a bad thing. But I think anyone that begrudges someone a home in central Auckland with the whole NIMBY mindset... We, you know, you just have to... Yeah. Got to build up. Yeah, well, I've had a look at some... I don't know why I had to look at a whole Vancouver over in Vancouver because that's what they do. They build around the, the, the infrastructure there is their transport and then they build around it. So mm. they build around train stations and things like that. Mm. And that kind of makes sense. Mm. But in Auckland, you know, when you've got people who are moaning about being on the southern motorway from Pukekohe coming into central Auckland, you've got to scratch your head and ask, ask what, you know, what are we doing? So 4,000 houses in Mount Albert, yeah. <coughs> There is going to be some infrastructure problems, particularly on that um, intersection and on that road. And for me, because I have to drive to hockey like three million times a week from Ab- to Avondale, so it'll be stink for me. But, you know, the, the chances of, of the Uber taxi driver finally being able to buy a house is great, isn't it? The only thing that concerns me is the affordable housing thing, because I think, you know, what we've seen in the past is that actually affordable housing becomes unaffordable housing. Mm. And actually, if you made all of it social housing, mm. then other housing becomes more affordable because there's less demand. But I guess the follow-up question too is, what is Labour doing in terms of their immigration policy? Because that was another thing that they talked about. And again, if you want to make housing more affordable... Um, they said last election that you have to reduce demand and part of reducing their policy to reduce demand was by addressing the current um, um, rate of of, um, immigration. So I guess, you know, is this going to be a two-pronged approach? When do we hear more about that? I don't know. Lots of questions. Answer the questions, Ben. 
And also, what is the mix of those four thousand houses? Are they so? Are they, is it mixed? They're saying they're saying Kiwi build will be a certain amount. They don't mean exact. And they're saying that there will be social state housing mm. um, and that four thousand within within that too. But again, it's not been specified exactly mm. what the number will be. I think about a third of Kiwi building. Four so four thousand dwellings on what is it twenty nine hectares? I think that's that's about it, it's going to have to that's more homes and about a third the size of Hobsonville Point, which to this up till now has been the kind of master planned suburb kind of role. Um, so I mean, but it, under the, under the really going to be cramming a lot of people in there. But but, um, but in terms of the point that Mahi makes, like in, because of its proximity to a transport mm. connection, the unitary plan will allow it to go like six six stories higher. I think I think sort of straightforwardly. So I, th- I heard three to four stories. I think it's three to four. Yeah. unless they get a concession. Three to four, six. I mean, jeez. Mm. But still, up. I, I, I mean, look, there's, there's there's a lot that has to be worked through. Yeah. If, if 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 a lot of these are for are homes for single. Single house, single person households, um, you know, they're going to have to be of a certain size, or banks won't lend on them. Um, they're going to have to, you know, they're going to have to have infrastructure connections there. Um, you know, even when you start talking about affordable housing, the government, has, for as long as I can remember now, has been talking about six hundred thousand dollars as an affordable home. Well, that's not affordable to that many people, particularly, you know, maybe Uber drivers or, you know, other people who aren't in highly paid occupations. So, I mean, none of this is straightforward at the same time, you know, it, it at least is an attempt to do something. Yeah. And that is something that we haven't been used to in the housing area is for it a the, long time. Uh, Oakley end? The Oakley Hospital end? Yes. Might have to have a little blessing in there first. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Get the key. My grand, my grandmother, my great grandfather was locked up in there. Was he? Just went missing from Ngaruawahia. Oh found him in there. This but is the, the, they the old psychiatric yeah. hospital they we're talking about. They literally round up Māori at the Māori Land Court and chucked in the line. Oakley. We did a story of the guy that we, we couldn't find him. He was 100 when he finally died. And he went missing in 1916 or something like that. Mm. And um, they found the records of him in Oakley. Mm. He was completely sane. Amazing. Mm. Where they grabbed them from the line. Yes, at the Māori Land Court. They absolutely. He they arrested spent, him. He died when he was uh, like 112. Or so, yeah, oh, he spent the last 16 years of his life at Oakley. None of his whānau ever. They knew. arrested him, and the police documents um, file said that he had a res- resisted arrest or something. Being mm. stroppy at the Land Court. Anywho. Anyhow. <laughs> Um, was that a Hui show or a Native Affairs show? That was a, no, that was a Hui and a former RNZ story. Mm. Okay. Speaking of RNZ, the um, <laughs> can someone order me a panini just while we're here at Astoria and a bowl mm. latte? I finished my crossword. Um, before we go, quickly, there's a you may not have noticed it, but there's a green co-leader contest. Which is reaching its end soon, it's like a few zenith. days to go. It's zenith. It's um, eighth of April. Eighth of April is it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good fact, ladies and gentlemen. A fact on Gone by Lunchtime, um, and it is Judy Angenta versus Marama Davidson, and. I don't know. I haven't really seen much. I mean, I I probably should have been paying more attention. We but had them on. Did we you? Had them on. We had oh, them on. I, I missed that. How did that go? Well, we kind of got a bit sidetracked, actually, because we ended up talking about, um, you know, because we're the hui, so we concentrate on Māori things. 
So oh. talked to them about their treaty policy and um, whether it was working within the party, and both of them were a little, little um, woolly. Well, no, it's kind of like since Matidia left, mm. um, I'm wondering if that kind of uh, bicultural approach. It, it sounds like the conundrum in the Greens is that they're all about talking about the treaty and consulting about the treaty, but when it actually comes to power sharing with Maori, which is really the wairua of the treaty it appears that there doesn't necessarily seem to be a lot of that happening. Mm. It's more like talking about the Marys and talking with the Marys, you, you mean not necessarily letting them make decisions. So, so you yeah, mean in terms that, of that in was, the party that was or the, in yeah, terms yeah. of their policies? So they have a group called Te Ropu Pauname, yeah, which right. is their Māori group, and the idea is that Māori, the treaty, mm. is uh, at the front of mind whenever they're making policy or decisions or major things like that. So I think I asked the question to Julianne Genta in her role as a minister, how, when, when was the last time she consulted with Te Ropu Pounamu, and she was surprised and said, oh, they're an um, unpaid kind of volunteer group, which we said it wasn't at the point. Right. Mm. Anyway, I've got kids to pick up Topless. OK, right, we've got to go, we've got to go. You can catch um, Annabelle Lee and Megan Lane Forms on the Hui on uh, Sundays on 3. You can catch Ben Thomas on uh, social network can, Twitter. Can, can, I just say, can I just say, we're also on Monday night after the late news. Yeah, news hub late. Yeah, we have a replay. News hub late. Okay, cool. We're is it the same that. show or do you change something? It's the same show, but you know, it's a different but better, audience. Right. But better, it's better because it's, it's night time. Because yeah. it's night time. Oh, okay, do you put swears in? No, it's just that the viewer can have a glass of wine while they're watching. Uh, rather than a coffee. Okay. Mm, it's even better when you're drunk. She's shaming us for having a beer on a Sunday morning. No. Thanks very much, Forbesy. Thanks, everybody. Um, uh, like us and share us. and Leave a nice comment on iTunes. I always meant to forget to say that about how you would like to have Mihi Forbes and Waimehi Rose back. Bye. Yay. Bye. She says, like, she, that was great timing. <laughs>